Welcome to the County Pulse. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia's county governments. I'm Joe Lurch, VACA Director of Local Government Policy, and your host for this special episode we are calling An Ounce of Prevention, Making the Case for Proactive Land Use Planning. To tackle this topic, we brought in two experts with decades of experience working on behalf of Virginia's local, local governments. I'd like to introduce Attorney Sharon Pandak, a founding partner with Green, Taves, and Pandak, and Darren Coffey, Chief Executive Officer with the Berkeley Group. Darren, I'm going to start with you to introduce the topic, as this was your idea. Uh, and in using that axiom, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, what are we talking about in the context of land use planning? Well, I think it's an appropriate podcast uh, for VACO to host because you know, what VACO services are uh, to its members is uh, basically helping to troubleshoot problems but also head them off uh, and be proactive. And uh, in our experience, there's a human tendency to be reactive, to be defensive. Uh, there's much less of a tendency to be proactive uh, and to try to troubleshoot things. So uh, local governments... Uh, are just communities of people. And so when they put their budgets together, uh, they know they're going to need money for legal counsel, uh, and they're going to end up in court sooner or later over something. Um, But there's very little or much less of an effort toward providing for long-range planning, like updating your land use tools and keeping them up to date. And so it just seems like uh, that falls into that axiom of an ounce of prevention, that if Uh, we could effectively counsel localities to uh, be proactive and spend a little bit of money, uh, relatively speaking, toward keeping these tools up to date, then uh, they would be better off when they do end up in court. It's more defensible. uh, Mm -hmm. They'll more likely to win. uh, But hopefully also uh, that element of the budget (laughs) reduces uh, to help offset some of the costs they are spending on updating their tools. And obviously... um, Drew and I can't have this discussion with any legitimacy uh, unless we're doing it with uh, a legal counsel. And uh, so Sharon graciously agreed to discuss it with us. She's seen this throughout her career as well. And so uh, we're, we're pleased to be here to, to discuss it. Yeah, so Sharon, kicking this over to you, uh, and, and I'm, I'm glad Darren introduced that, you know, kind of the, it's kind of a small part of your budget locally, what you do with your land use planning comprehensive plan zoning and all that. So in your experience, what have you seen? Well, starting from when I was first in the county attorney's office in Prince William County some years ago, and moving through that to being county attorney and doing work in a, for a number of localities, my firm is does litigation. We represent localities when they get sued in land use matters, and uh, those are tend to be very complex. They cost money, and uh, sometimes you've got some insurance, sometimes you don't, but the insurance is just for a portion of the actual costs. You, in addition to the costs, you have the distraction of staff. You have uh, people having to testify as witnesses. You may have to hire expert witnesses. And you have the public wondering, what exactly are the rules, particularly when there are challenges out there? Uh, so there are very good reasons for trying to avoid litigation or to set up your locality in a way that if you get sued, and you can't stop people from suing you, either the, yeah. the, the landowner who is disappointed with not getting what they wanted or the neighbors, you get out of that lawsuit quickly. And so what we have done, and 
is to help localities try to do the kind of updates that Darren talks about so that they're in a better position. And that adds more credibility to the governing bodies with, with the public out there because everybody then knows what the rules are. And it's easier to say, we're doing what we said we would do. That's what we're going to do in litigation. And it's a more positive approach and ultimately less expensive. Yeah, so, so walk us, I mean, what would be kind of like a case study example of, of how this would play out? Well, I'd, in terms of a practical example, let me go back and give you a sort of a historic case that proves why this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loudoun County back in, in the late 70s worked really hard. Actually, they started much, much earlier, worked really hard on their comprehensive plan. And they were able to sustain uh, a challenge when they denied a rezoning um, for the learner uh, group in the case of Loudoun County versus Lerner as it came out of the Virginia Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court said, you did what was in your comprehensive plan. You have a right to interpret how you set up those terms, you define those terms, you, what you did was reasonable, and therefore we are going to um, support the decision of the board of supervisors over that challenge that was brought by a large company against you because and in this case, pretty astoundingly, the comprehensive plan talked about a trigger, which was minimum population. And so while we think a lot about density and population today, we have a case that goes back to 1980 in which the Supreme Court said, you, the locality, did the right thing. You put together your land use, your zoning actions were taken in accordance with your comprehensive plan, and we're going to support that. That's great. You know, and I think one thing I, as as a former practicing planner, too, and, and places that I've worked, one of the key elements of that is as you're developing your comprehensive plan or zoning ordinance or a special type of overlay district, involving the public, making making sure they have input in that process, because I think that gives it a lot of legitimacy. Uh, I know in terms of just one case uh, up in Fairfax this uh, past year, they had developed an ordinance dealing with short-term rentals. And I think they must have done like 11 public hearings, you know, tons of comments. People weren't happy with the outcome, some were, and so they're challenging it legally. But I think, you know, there's a good chance that the case will be thrown out because of all the things that they did. I think you're absolutely right. And and you and Darren have seen it more on the ground. We tend to see it a little bit later or as we're doing drafting. But having that public input and making people aware and giving them an opportunity to speak out, not only uh, girds you better for battle if there's litigation, but may often um, divert those people from suing later. And I think a couple of tools uh, that we can talk about the first one is very cost-effective, and that's education. Uh, and whether you're doing it through the land use education program or you're having somebody uh, come and do it on site, uh, the planning uh, commissioner certification training, board of zoning appeals certification training, I mean, all of these uh, fall into this ounce of prevention. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Chandler, a long, long time ago, I think it was 1999, you know, basically was preaching this, that if you follow your comp plan, you're going to win in court. So, so for our listeners, who's Dr. Chandler? Uh, Mike Chandler. Okay. Uh, so most listeners should know who he is. If not, look him up. He's a legend. Uh, and he's been doing this for over 40 years in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the training has been effective because BZA <laughs> members and planning commissioners who take it uh, learn these things. And they're foundational, uh, foundational lessons uh, based on, in part, no small part, <laughs> the case that Sharon mentioned. 
Uh, another thing that we recommend to our clients is to do what we call a diagnostic or a land use tool evaluation. And basically, that's just looking at your comprehensive plan, looking at your zoning and subdivision ordinances, your three primary land use tools, and seeing how they stack up against state code requirements. Um, most localities haven't touched their comp plan in more than five years. Uh, average is maybe closer to 10. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't touched their zoning ordinance in 20-plus years, and they haven't touched their subdivision ordinance since it was adopted in the 60s. So it's uh, – and state code has changed over the years, uh, particularly in the last 10, 15, 20 years. So that's a good exercise to do. It's also an opportunity for staff to document uh, what's been driving them crazy about the ordinances that they have to implement. Um, they know where the inconsistencies are. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. Uh, they don't necessarily need a whole new ordinance or a whole new comprehensive plan. They need the one they've got fixed so that it operates better. And so that can be a very cost-effective thing. You know, if you're a middle-sized community, a comprehensive plan update or zoning ordinance update is going to be $100,000, $120,000 dollars or more. Mm -hmm. uh, to do a diagnostic, it's going to cost you five, ten thousand dollars $10,000, and then you've got a roadmap that you can pick and choose from. Maybe you want to update the whole thing, or maybe you don't. Maybe that's intimidating. And you just want to a la carte it or uh, triage it. Uh, yeah, because I think that the way that the state code is written is the comp plan has to be reviewed, reviewed. every five years, not necessarily not updated. wholesale updated. Right. Of course, I like to joke sometimes with people if you haven't done it with, you know, if it's been six or seven years, you know, the state police aren't going to, you know, show up and handcuff your planning commissioners. Correct. But the reality is they don't want to be handcuffed with the legal challenges. Exactly, Joe. And, and, and a couple of points, not only. The diagnostic, um, which Drew and Darren represent, and they talk to localities about, but also um, asking your Board of Zoning Appeals in their annual report to include those types of things that seek to keep coming up as variances. Um, the planning commissions sometimes uh, say, nobody listens to us on the Board of Supervisors, and you say, well, what are you including in your annual report as issues that you've frequently seen? And to the point of not rewriting the comp plan every five years, uh, in Prince William, we reached an agreement with the Planning Commission where they, they and the board agreed on 10 topics or 15 topics. And it was a way to go through and do a scrutiny of specific areas. Another is to pull out some topics that have been kind of hot topics. Uh, one might be Reli Religious Land Use Institutionalized Persons Act, known as RELUPA. Uh, one might be telecommunications and the, the things that the federal government has, has done that seem to constitute preemption or are actually preemption. Um, the General Assembly has been uh, dealing off and on with the conditional zoning and proffer issues, so mm -hmm. they probably had to look at that. Um, issues with respect to uh, whether there's been an improper delegation, waivers come to mind. Mm -hmm. So there's some discrete issues that you can pick out in addition to those local ones and say, let's take a look at that and just do a scan and make sure that our ordinances and our regulations that flow from that are as, as uh, consistent with law as they might be. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, large time, uh, a lot of our members, and particularly the, the County Attorneys Association, you know, they annually update their members on changes in the General Assembly. Uh, but we also, VACO does uh, a General Assembly report, and that's a great place to look in the economic development and planning section or other sections that you think might have that impact. You know, maybe not to go down too far down a side road, but one of the things that, that's always interested me about the role of the Planning Commission, and, and I'd served as a Planning Commissioner 
uh, for about two and a half years for the city of Fredericksburg is in the state code, the planning commission actually has a role in the CIP, the capital improvement budget. And how does that play into that, do you think? Well, I have to pull out my prop here that nobody can see, which is my slinky, uh-huh, uh, which yep. shows that everything is connected. And one of the things that um, collectively as staff led by the county executive and Prince William in the in the 90s was to connect that CIP with everything else you do in land use. And it all boils down to money and and, uh, public improvements in the end. And if you do that, you start with your CIP, you go to your comprehensive plan, you go Mm -hmm. to your zoning ordinance, you do your subdivision ordinance and your development regulations, and you package that all up like my slinky. And then you have put together a legally airtight uh, set of um, land use um, processes in the county that not only makes sense to the public, because mm-hmm. you've put your roadmap together, but also can make sense to a court, um, you know, presuming all that underlying reasonableness and, and work that you all do as planners to support specific actions. And I can tell you, you know, based on our experience around the Commonwealth, uh, a lot of localities don't know what their capital improvement program is. They don't have one. They view it as a paper exercise, a waste of time. Uh, they don't want their planning commission to touch it. Um, elected officials think it's money that's been budgeted, <laughs> even though you know only year one is supposed to you know go into the operational budget, and it's not budgeted unless you budget it. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> it is the key or should be the key implementation tool that bridges your the ideas that are in your comprehensive plan uh, to to your operational budget on an annual basis, uh, taking a five or more year look uh, at what those needs are and how you're going to fund it. And it's just not commonly done. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that's a good case in point of how land use tools can flow into one another and be very, very effective uh, if they're used as intended. I, I might give you one example, sort of, I, I, I took you back in time to when I was county attorney, but let me take it forward to, you know, the you look with your comp- your capital improvement program as to what you can fund and how are mm-hmm. you going to fund it and who's going to kick into that, both public and private if you do it well. Um, you, you sort all that out, those funding sources. But you take, for example, agricultural area, and, and people go, oh, okay, agricultural, we don't need to spend much time on that. Um, and then you look at it and you go, okay, what if all of that, if it's one-acre zoning, you divide up your whole agricultural area into one-acre lots? What's that cost you? And how do you pay for the school children? How do you pay for the roads? You know, do you have to send sewer out there? And suddenly it, it creates a different dynamic for looking at, um, at your planning. You know, it really, uh, it's amazing. It goes back to what I said in the beginning with the human tendency uh, to focus on just what's in front of you and react to that. Um, I think a lot of folks think that, well, staff is spending a lot of time on this, but that's what we pay them for. Well, ideally, you're paying them to do other things and gathering support papers for a court case. Um, elected officials and appointed officials, they do not like to be subpoenaed. They do not like to have to appear in court and testify. And as Sharon has pointed out, a lot of times, you know, by the time you get to court, they don't even remember what the issue was, and you know, they just want it to go away. Uh, the best way to make it go away is just to think about it proactively and, and avoid it in the first place. 
elected officials are not thinking or aren't even aware that their zoning ordinance allows you know one dwelling unit per two acres or five acres or one acre what does that mean just do the math it's it's potentially not good Um, and so working through those issues uh, talking about those issues focusing on them which doesn't cost a lot of money um, can save a lot of money and a lot of time uh, and a lot of resources I might also note that increasingly we have a very attentive populace. Mm. And so um, if you're ahead of the curve as a public body uh, from those citizen groups that are very helpful in bringing issues to the, to the fore, um, they come in with issues and you go, gee, I didn't know that. Gee, I didn't know that. And so your credibility goes down as a governing body if you don't know those basic things that need to be fixed with your ordinances or the implications um, at this current time or whether the comp plan needs some some updating to address um, conditions that are out. So I, I think there are, there are lots of positive reasons to to sort of say, okay, a little financial investment here is is really important to how we go forward. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've got any other uh, thoughts you want to add, because I think we've kind of wrapped this up nicely about introducing the topic, you know, the importance of it, and giving examples. Can you point maybe to some other resources that we could potentially put up on the website um, as uh, an addendum to this uh, podcast? Well, I, I had mentioned to you that we did a PowerPoint for the VACO supervisors a couple of years ago, and, and we tried to make it entertaining, not just um, just the legal aspects. That's why I bring my slinky around, uh, because it allows people to realize that what we're talking about at a base level is very understandable, and you shouldn't be put off from it just because it seems so complicated. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's a good way to do it. I I, I even encourage, uh, and I've done a couple of times for local governments, to have public presentations as to how land use works, so that the uh, the populace understands. Take the mystery out of it. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, people can easily look up the land use education program. Uh, it's provided now through VCU's Wilder mm. School. That's good. We can uh, provide a link to that. The yeah. training that I recommended earlier, they provide some of that. Uh, Sharon and I have gone on site uh, to provide uh, similar training. It's more of a primer. It's definitely not a substitute for <laughs> Uh, the, the level of depth that you get from those classes. Uh, Drew and I um, did a video series years ago called uh, Changing Nature of Local Government. Uh, that's available on our website, which is bgllc.net. Um, and one of those, I think it's eight um, different topics, and one of them is good governance. And I think what we're talking about here, uh, aside from the cute ounce of prevention moniker is good governance. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharon mentioned uh, when you do these things that we've discussed, it does reduce confusion. It improves the clarity of the land use policies, the understanding of the citizenry on what this means, and that builds confidence in their government and in their elected and appointed officials. And that's mm-hmm. just good governance. I'd agree. Well, to wrap this up, I thought what I'd do is I'd end with a, kind of a quiz. It's kind of a, a, a trivia question, and I think Gage, our producer, will appreciate this because he likes to quiz us when we do podcasts together. So the axiom, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Where did that come from? Who first said that? 
You didn't warn us you were going to do this. I know, I didn't. <laughs> you got me, but I'm going to go back and sort of hit you with my land use one, which is where did Stand By Your Plan come from? Oh. Stand By Your Plan? That is, well, is it Stand By Your Man? The, the, Absolutely. That's right, okay. Adapted to land, land use, use planning. Plan. <laughs> you got to get that on your, uh, well, on yeah, your we'll website. We'll have to get that, yeah. <laughs> well, so I thought it would be good to, to understand. So it was Benjamin Franklin. Course. And it was in 1735, and it was a, it was he did it as a old citizen in the Pennsylvania Gazette. He was making a point, and it, it kind of relates back to this because it was related to the whole issue of the fact that they were not prepared. If one house caught on fire in the city of Philadelphia, the rest could catch on fire, and why rebuild a whole city? And because of his campaign and that ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, making that argument. By the end of the next year, they had their first volunteer fire department. So it was, you know, it kind of relates back to the land use planning and good governance, as you said. You see what the value of education is? Yeah, exactly. We just learned something today. <laughs> we can all wish we had Benjamin Franklin on our planning commission. Yeah, he would be good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thank Thanks. you both. And this ends our uh, special edition of the County Pulse.